Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow, sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in, this, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. I remember growing up in a home where I was treated so unfairly, almost all of the time. It was awful. My parents fed me meals regularly, most often meals that I loved. They always provided for me my most basic needs. I was never found wanting anything. They gave me clothes to wear, a home to sleep in and find rest. They showed me affection. But they didn't always let me do everything I wanted to do. I couldn't believe how unfair they were to me all the time, all the time. They let me play sports that I enjoyed. They let me spend time with my friends. But I didn't have total autonomy over my life. My goodness, how they were unfair to me. It was the worst. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that someone didn't call social services on DHS because of how unfair they were to me. Now as a parent myself. As Michael, would, Michael Scott would say, oh, how the turntables. You would think that almost daily, someone would be calling DHS on me. We feed them daily, most often meals they love and ask for. We provide them a home to live in, comfortable beds to sleep in, clothes that don't just cover them, but allow them to express the things that they love and enjoy. It is terrible, awful mistreatment that we exercise over our children. And I think weekly I'm reminded of how unfair I am towards my children. Dad, you never want me to have fun. You never want me to have fun. Can anybody relate in here? You're so mean to me to make me stop playing with my friends and come home and eat a warm meal and take a shower and go to bed and get rest for school tomorrow. Well, that's not how it comes out, right? But that's what, he, that's what they mean. And someday, if the Lord tarries, my own children will grow up and be parents themselves and will repeat this vicious, terrible cycle of mistreating their children by caring for them, loving them, and providing for them their most basic needs. This, friends, is the true circle of life. Mufasa had it wrong. This is the circle of life. Now, our perception of what is fair, of what is just, what is right, it develops as we age, doesn't it? As we grow up, we have a more full picture of what true justice, true fairness could or should look like, but there are still things that we experience that when they happen to us, we can't help but ask ourselves or say to ourselves, this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. Now, I'm not talking about someone cutting you off in traffic or blocking you on social media. 
I'm talking about something that makes you cry out to God. How could you let this happen to me? I don't deserve this. God, why? Now, I want you to bottle up that feeling, that feeling that you feel. And this is what Peter is going to address for us this morning. And I'm talking about the unjust suffering that we experience in life. Now, if you're new to us this morning, we're in the middle of a three to four week mini series that we could probably call the yeah buts of life. Now, here's what I mean. Last week, we read about Peter urging his audience to submit themselves to governing authorities. Here's the exact quote from Peter. Be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Yeah, but what about evil rulers? Or, or what about those who don't fight for justice? Surely he didn't mean every human institution. Next week, we will look at the household. Wives, be subject or submit to your own husbands, even those that don't obey God. Now, I'm not even going to say the yeah buts here. I'm just going to say good luck, Jeremy. That's yours next week. <laughs> if we allowed ourselves, we could spend all morning, each of these weeks, spending our time on what Peter isn't saying or what he could be saying without getting into what he's actually saying, okay? So I'm gonna give a few yeah buts this morning that are, are necessary, I think, but then we're gonna spend the rest of our time on what he is saying. And so the yeah but this morning is in regards to slavery. The exact quote from verse 18 is, slaves or servants, depending on your translation, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't know if you need to hear this from us this morning, but I'm just going to say it. Owning humans as a possession is always indisputably wrong and evil. This is not up for debate. It was wrong then. It's, it was wrong in the American South. It's wrong today. It's always wrong. One more thing I want to say. In no way in our text this morning do I believe that Peter is affirming or endorsing slavery. His goal in this letter is just not to take down evil systems. This isn't a manifesto on the evils of slavery and how to begin a cultural uprising in order to defeat it. What he's doing is simply acknowledging that there is an unjust system and there are people that are being treated unjustly. And so for the Christians that find themselves in this situation, how are they to live? That is the question that Peter sets out to answer this morning. And there's a principle that he introduces to his audience that's going to extend to us today. And that, that is our first point this morning. Enduring unjust suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Enduring unjust suffering is a gracious thing in the sight of God. I recently had a meeting with someone who, uh, we, we began our conversation with him uh, reverberating this phrase over and over, that clarity is kindness. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Whether it's in the workplace or the classroom, at home, if we talk about what expectations are, giving clarity to one another, that is a kindness that we extend to other people. And that's what Peter, Peter does us a solid this morning, and he gives precise clarity on the group of people that he is speaking to. So first, he mentions that he's not writing to slaves that serve under masters that are good and gentle. The argument that we can make is that it's easy to serve on, under someone who's kind to you. Consider going to work if you have a boss, your place of employment, or someone over you in authority. If they are kind and just and gentle, well, he's, he's giving you no props for that. You ought to serve them. You ought to submit to them. 
On the other hand, he's also not writing to slaves that are willfully disobedient. He says in verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Perhaps a good example for this might be that if I run a red light or if I speed over the speed limit and I get a ticket for that, you shouldn't feel sorry for me. I deserve that, right? I earned that. Now, I maybe don't always get caught for doing that. Maybe there's not always a police officer around the corner, but when I do, I am deserving of that which I received. These things logically make sense to us, right? What doesn't make sense to us is what Peter asked us to do this morning. Listen to this. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, especially the unjust ones. Verse 19, endure sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, do good and suffer for it. These things don't logically make sense. Now, the first couple times I read through this, I was thinking and really hoping that this only applied to slaves submitting to their masters. But I think he broadens that in verse 19 when he says, for this is a good and gracious thing when mindful of God One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. One, anyone. He broadens it to all of us. It's a good and gracious thing when anyone suffers, endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. So writer Karen Jobes explains it this way. The suffering to which slaves, and by extension all Christians, are called is not suffering caused by the human condition, such as illness, aging, and death, nor is it suffering that is the consequence of one's own sin and poor judgment. Peter's call is to suffer unjustly, to suffer even though one has done nothing to provoke or deserve it. The challenge of the call does not stop there. Peter Peter further exhorts the Christians to keep on doing good even when unjust suffering continues to be the result. Now, this is when it gets pretty uncomfortable for us because Peter isn't talking about something that's outside of us. I I don't know. It's possible that someone in here has been in some type of slavery situation. I don't know of that situation. So this, if it's just talking about slaves submitting to masters, this could be outside of us. And we could be talking about a different group of people that doesn't affect us, but that's not what's happening here. And we put ourselves under this idea. It gets very uncomfortable. Now I want to break this down for a moment, specifically what Karen says that Peter is saying. Now, if we're looking at both sides of this, I'll just put myself in this situation. I don't think I should have to suffer when I do good, okay? Why? Because I done good, right? If you do good and you don't get a consequence for that, I, I can, I, I'm for that, right? We, we can all agree, hey, that's great. I don't want to suffer unjustly. I would much rather suffer justly. Like if I do something to, to get something else, and I know there's, something, there's a consequence coming for me, I'm actually for that also. Like that happens every time I eat a whole bowl of queso at night. That's actually going to happen tonight to me at the Super Bowl party. We're going to host some of you. You're coming over to my house. I am only going to eat food that tastes good and is bad for me. I'm telling you that now. And tomorrow, I'm going to be so miserable. It's going to be awful. And I'm going to complain to my wife, and she's going to say, you did this to yourself, right? And some of your wives are going to say the same thing to you when you wake up and complain and say, oh man, I shouldn't have had that fourth plate of nachos. But this, this suffering, I deserve. 
I'm walking into it knowing if I do this, I get this, and I'm cool with that every now and then, you know. Okay, so every night, probably not a good idea. The suffering I'm not down for is the suffering that comes when I don't deserve it. When I did nothing to earn that type of suffering. And this is what Peter is calling us to. Now, I want to go back again to what Karen says that Peter says that we need to come back to. The challenge of the call does not stop at unjust suffering. Peter further exhorts the Christian to keep on doing good even when unjust suffering continues to be the result. For how long? In perpetuity. Forever. So when your boss exercises harsh authority over you, day in and day out, overworking you, being demanding of you, treating you like a pawn that only helps the bottom line. When your professor moves the goalposts on you, you work hard to turn in an assignment and you think that you checked all the boxes, you did everything exactly right. But then you're graded by a different metric and you receive a bad grade for it. When someone in your life accuses you of doing something that you did not do, this person has just enough credibility to damage your reputation, something that potentially may last years for you. When your spouse stubbornly refuses to repent of sin and you feel like your marriage is falling apart. When you're excluded from social circles because it's publicly known that you follow Jesus. When you're labeled as a bigot or a fraud because of someone else's experience with someone in their past who called themselves a Christian. In these instances and more, Keep on doing good when unjust suffering continues to be the result. Keep going. Now, this sounds impossible. This sounds too hard. Peter begins by telling us what to do. Then he tells us the why and the how. Now, I want to note something in the text. There's a clear transition here that you can find in the Greek. Now, I know just enough Greek to get myself in trouble, and that's why I don't reference it very often. But in verse 21, there's a change here. There's, there's a phrase that we see in our English text that says, for to this you have been called. Everything else through verse 24 builds off of that statement. For to this you have been called. To what have we been called? We've mentioned that, unjust suffering. One of my old seminary professors, Tom Schreiner, he's much smarter than me, he wrote on this idea of calling and what it means right here. He says this, the word called refers to God's effectual call. If you know these terms, there's a general call and there's an effectual call. This effectual call results in the faith of believers. So what Peter said here was that believers were called to experience their final reward through enduring suffering. Suffering, in other words, it's not a detour, like a bypass by which believers receive the inheritance to which they were called. It is God's appointed means for receiving the inheritance. Now, this is not a fun teaching, right? If we dodge certain texts in the Bible, this is one we probably would not want to teach. But here it is. For to this you have been called, this unjust suffering. So to what have you been called? Let's, let's build that out a little bit more. You've been called to endure unjust suffering because Christ died in your place. I'm going to read a little bit of verse 21 and then verse 24. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
by his wounds, you have been healed. Now, this is one of the most beautifully profound and succinct pictures of the gospel that you'll find in all of scripture. Christ in my place, substitutionary atonement, my sin nailed to the cross, taking on what I deserve, not what he deserves, so that I die to sin and live to righteousness. When I'm mindful of God, I can make sense of the unjust suffering that I experience, the unfairness that I experience. Why? Because there is nothing more unfair than what Jesus experienced for you and me. Nothing. There is nothing more unfair than this. What I actually deserve and what you actually deserve is the full wrath of God for our sins because he's holy and we are not. He's the creator, so he gets to call the shots. He created all things, you and me, the world and everything in it, so he sets the standard. I don't get to say what I do. He calls the shots. So what I deserve then, when I fall short of what he's asked us to do, I deserve punishment for what I have failed to do. That is justice. That's the queso analogy, right? I get what I deserve, what I've earned. There is not one unjust thing about that. I deserve the consequence for my sin. And the consequence laid out in scripture for my sin is death. I deserve death. I deserve wrath. You deserve death. You deserve wrath. And yet what happens instead? He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is amazing grace. He took our sins to the cross. He bore the full wrath of God and suffered in your place. That's not fair. That is unjust. And yet that's what happened. Peter here is drawing so much from Isaiah 53. And you guys can probably hear it if you're familiar with Isaiah 53. I'm going to read beginning of verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we're not the good shepherd here, right? We're the sheep. We are the ones who have strayed. We have wandered far from the good shepherd. And in what would become the most unfair and unjust suffering the world has ever known, the only one who was ever without sin took our sin to the cross, buried it with himself in the grave, and rose victoriously on the third day. Why did he do that? so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What is one way we do that? We endure sorrows while suffering unjustly, while being mindful of God, mindful of Jesus, mindful of the gospel. Now still you might say, okay, what he did for me was remarkable, and I acknowledge that this was unfair. Nobody's gonna say this is fair. But how do I do this? This is still a hard teaching. You've been called to endure unjust suffering by following the example of Jesus. You've been called to endure unjust suffering by following the example of Jesus. Let's keep reading. Again in verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ is leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And what was his example? Peter gives it to us. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. How in the world did he do this? Verse 23, 
he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Now, when things get really dark, we would just rather retaliate when we are unjustly sinned against, right? Isn't it easier to just retaliate? Hold on now, this person said that about me? Well, let me tell you, let me, let me set the story straight. Let me tell you what, what they're really like. Or when a boss gets demanding or is harsh, we'd rather leave. We just quit and go find another job. Or even better, I'll spew all my thoughts about them all over social media. That'll get them back, right? I want to take vengeance in my own hands because I want to make sure that whoever treated me unfairly gets what's coming to them. But what we read in verse 23 is the key to unlocking so much of this. When you and I seek retaliation, when we seek vengeance, even for unjust suffering, we are playing God. We are playing God in our life. I've got to make sure that this person or that person gets what's coming to them, or I've got to make sure that my name gets cleared. When we do these things, we demand justice. But what did Jesus do? He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. When we seek our own justice, we show the, our own justice, we, we're showing the world that I don't believe God is gonna do it, don't we? When I seek vengeance, when I seek justice for myself, I'm communicating to everyone, I don't believe God is just. This is what we are bent Towards. If I hear arguing in the other room in my house, I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to ask what happened. One child did this to that child. The other child retaliated and did this to the other child. I'll turn and ask why they did this. Well, you weren't going to do anything about it. But we do this too. You're laughing. I see some of you laughing. You, yeah. You had this conversation this morning with your children, didn't you? We don't believe justice will be served. Here's more from Tom Schreiner. Jesus kept handing over, this is entrusting, entrusting himself. He kept handing over to God every dimension of his life, including the fate of his enemies. In particular, he knew that God would judge rightly on the last day, both vindicating him and punishing his enemies if they refused to repent. The scriptures nowhere teach that believers can refrain from retaliation because we become stoics in suffering and put on this brave face and just get beat up. We just take it. Rather, believers triumph over evil because they trust that God will do it. We trust that God will vindicate them and judge their enemies, putting everything right in the end. So I've got to ask, do you entrust yourself to the one who judges justly? With everything. Jesus did this with every area of his life. Are you doing that? Do you entrust yourself to God with your unjust suffering when life isn't fair? Do you entrust yourself to God when you're prosperous, when everything is going right? Do you entrust yourself to God with the faith of your children or lack thereof, with the obedience of your children or lack thereof, with your thriving and strong marriage or lack thereof? Do you entrust yourself to God with all of these things? College students, do you entrust yourself to God this uncertainty or the certainty of your future? Do we entrust all of these things to the one who judges justly? Peter reminds us, this is what he's doing in our text, that God the Son, Jesus, suffered a greater injustice than you will ever suffer, than I will ever suffer. And in his moment of deepest darkness, 
greatest loneliness, when he was being reviled, in that moment, he entrusted himself to God the Father. So remember that when you receive this type of abuse or mistreatment, unjust suffering for something that you did not earn, you are not alone. Furthermore, the unjust suffering that you experience, Jesus received something similar in order that your suffering would not be endured without meaning. His unjust suffering gives our unjust suffering meaning. If I'm reading the text correctly this morning, our suffering, while being mindful of God, is a gracious thing and is proof of our salvation in him. The way that we endure unjust suffering either proves or disproves our belief in God. Remember what I read a few moments ago. Believers were called to experience their final reward through enduring suffering. It's not the detour. It is God's appointed means for receiving the inheritance. So the what of this teaching, super hard. What we're being asked to do here. When we get the how and the why, okay, I can make sense of this. Still a hard teaching, but it does make sense of it. While being mindful of God, we can live this way. Now, I want to give two more things. Just mention a couple of things briefly here before we finish this morning. If you disagree with this teaching, I just want to say, that's okay for right now. Just keep searching the scriptures. In fact, Peter himself once disagreed with this teaching. I want to show you this. So in, in 1 Peter 2, he writes so eloquently, right? Like, this is how we're supposed to live. Look to Jesus, all these things. What did Peter say in Matthew 16? Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's about to go to the cross. He's about to suffer all these things. He's simply foreshadowing what would happen on the cross in the following days. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So Peter, who wrote the words that we just studied this morning, pulled aside God and rebuked God. Peter rebuked God. Are you tracking with me? What does Jesus say to him? He turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So this is Peter before 1 Peter 2. He pulls God aside and says, you're not going to suffer. You, this can't happen to you. I'm going to rebuke God in the flesh because I know better than you. Something happens between Matthew 16 and 1 Peter 2 to where Peter first had his, th his mind set on the things of man, and in 1 Peter 2, he's got his mind set on the things of God. That's what happened. So it's okay to change your mind, okay? Let's just acknowledge that. We want to be right all the time. We only want to say things that are true. We don't do that. Neither did Peter. So if this is a hard teaching for you and you're struggling, just keep going to the scriptures, would you? Just keep going to the scriptures. Keep asking God, how can this be true? And I believe that he will make sense of this for you. Number two, I want to say, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're in this room this morning and you've made it thus far, man, power to you, first off. Thanks for enduring with us. But I'm going to invite you to follow Jesus today. If you're in here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, 
if we're going to put all of our cards on the table, like if I pulled the believers in the room, those who follow Jesus in the room, if I'm going to put all my cards on the table, I bet most of us would say that we persevere through suffering for a lot of reasons, but right near the top is that so that you might also know the love of God that we know. That's near the top of the list. We endure suffering to show you that we have hope in something greater than this world offers, right? So maybe you've been coming around for a bit. You've been trying to understand what we believe. Maybe you're trying to flesh out even what you believe. Or maybe you just got duped into coming this morning. Someone took you to breakfast, and you're like, oh, let's make a pit stop to this warehouse in downtown Norman. Oh, it's a church. Surprise. And you're just here. I don't know how you got here. But just a few verses before what we read in in 1 Peter 2, he says in verse 12, I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit. He says, to believers, he says, keep your conduct honorable among those that don't yet believe in Jesus, so that if they speak against you as evil or they try to slander you, they can't do it based on how you live your lives. Instead, they would see your good deeds and they would glorify God one day when Jesus returns because of your life. That's what Peter tells us to do. So if I polled the believers in the room, this is what we would say, that we go through hard things, we endure hard things in part so that you, not yet follower of Jesus, would believe and would follow Jesus. That is our aim. Now, make no mistake, your problems don't go away. Like you don't don't suddenly just follow Jesus and boom, bank account, like yeah, I'm a millionaire now. Kids, they listen, everybody obeys me. Suffering doesn't end. Your suffering doesn't end. If you've lived any life at all, you know that suffering is just a part of the deal, right? Part of being human. But following Jesus helps make sense of our suffering. It does. Even the suffering that we don't don't deserve. Instead, here's the hope of the gospel. Jesus stepped into unjust suffering, into intense pain, so that you could have hope of new life so that I could have hope of new life, that you and I would die to sin and live to righteousness. So our aim is to live radical lives in submission to Jesus, not radical in the sense that we're gonna overthrow the government or we're gonna oppress people, radical in the sense that we instead submit to governing authorities in the name of the Lord, radical in the sense that we endure oppression when it's unjust because it's seen as a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is radical, isn't it? I think it's not radical to try to overthrow the government. It's radical to submit to the government. That's radical. And as we do it, we hope that those in our lives who have yet to follow Jesus would look at us and say, I've got to know about this hope you have. I've got to know why you aren't panicking right now because of the election coming up. I've got to know because I'm freaking out. I've got to know why you can endure unjust suffering because I don't want to do that. I've got to know. That's our aim. Now, we began our time by me asking you to bottle up a feeling, right? Bottle up a feeling that we all experience from time to time, crying out to God, saying, God, why? I don't deserve this suffering that I'm experiencing. Why? How could you let this happen to me? Hear me loud and clear. I'm not asking you to stop asking this question. I think we need to keep asking this question. God, why am I experiencing this unjust suffering in my life? I'm simply asking that when you are begging God to speak to you in these moments, 
that you allow the scriptures to inform the answers that God is giving you, that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through passages like this one, through the one that Peter wrote to us, and that you submit to them and you learn to endure unjust suffering in light of the suffering of Jesus. Let's pray. God, I'm especially grateful this morning that your word speaks to the hardest parts of life. It's hard for me to make sense of certain things in the scriptures. I don't understand everything. But I'm so grateful, God, that you stepped into this world. You endured unjust suffering, not just to give us a model, not just so that we would know how to live, but you endured unjust suffering to take on my sin, to take on our sin, that we might have right relationship with the God, the creator of the universe. That is so unjust, that's unfair, but you did it for us. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in the room that they would experience the love of Jesus this morning, perhaps in a new and fresh way. That we would acknowledge that yes, you stepped into this for us, man, let us just sit in that. That God, you love me so much that you would die for me. I pray that this would inform the way that we walk through our own suffering, that we would look to Jesus, both as the God who's accomplished this for us, but also the God who models this for us. Help us, God, to show a broken world that we're broken too, we hurt too, but we've got hope. We don't do it without hope. Help us, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray.